As you're seated, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Talking in church. This is part two. I had some people ask me last week after my sermon, Pastor, what were you thinking? You need, to, you need to understand, we're preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? We're in chapter 14 now. I don't have an axe to grind. Uh, I'm not jumping on anybody's toes. I'm just trying to rightly divide the word of truth, okay? And these several chapters, as Paul dealt with abuses in Corinth, have some difficult teachings for the church at Corinth and some challenging applications for our church today. So are you in chapter 14? 1 Corinthians, let's pick up in verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul quoting from Isaiah. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. In other words, if an unbeliever comes in and hears the truth proclaimed, that person should give his life to Christ and worship him. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Remember that? We saw that last week, that we are here to build one another up. Verse 27. Is that where I am? If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, at each, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Remember we said last week what was happening in Corinth is they were copying what was happening out in the mystery pagan religions, had brought that, that uh, ecstatic utterance into the church, and what they were doing wasn't genuine biblical tongues. And Paul says, when you come together, don't do it that way. They were all talking at the same time. He says, if it should be a biblical tongue, a biblical language, let it, let it be one person at a time with an interpreter. But if not, keep silent. Verse 31, for, if, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Good reminder for us. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace, a God of order. The women, you love this verse, ladies? I kind of like it. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Yeah. Are y'all sensing there might be, might be a little bit of a cultural application of this passage here? But are to subject themselves just as to the law also, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. And, and again, remember we talked about this, we looked at the passage earlier about the context there, that there was an abuse of that. The women were coming and being argumentative and, and confrontive and causing chaos in the congregation. So Paul is saying to them, the ladies of Corinth, be careful here because it's causing confusion and disorder. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth or has it come to you only? 
If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and to not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Folks, I could probably spend a week on chapter 14 and, and, and at least this last part of chapter 14. So what I'm going to try to do is just give us some teaching to understand how that, that passage and the context that it, was, that it was written for in the church at Corinth, what is the application for us today? All right? Remember, they were abusing the gift. Let's talk about the issue of sign gifts first of all. Number one, the sign gifts had a distinct role in the early church. Again, I shared with you last week that I'm sharing my conviction on the study of Scripture. This is my perspective. This is how I interpret the Word. And as a church, as we see this, all right? And I tried to say last week, if you don't agree with me on that, that's fine. You're still welcome here. But this is where we're going we're gonna to divide the Word today, all right? The sign gifts. I believe tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, and healings, that those were the sign gifts. By the way, we still believe in miracles, okay? Just not miracle workers, we believe in healing, just not healers. That's important. I preached on this one time on my first church and had a man storm in my office and said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my new pastor. He doesn't believe in miracles. And I said, where did you hear that? He had it in his notes. And he showed me. I said, no, I didn't say that. I believe in miracles. God still works miracles. I just don't believe in the gift where a miracle worker comes in. Does that make sense? Those are the sign gifts. Let's talk about those. The sign gifts were given to validate the message and the messenger. The purpose in the early church for those gifts was to validate the message and the messenger. See, we have the New Testament today. When a person stands up and preaches or prophesies or makes a proclamation or has a word of testimony, we have the only way we have to check and see is that truth is to go to the truth, the word of God. If a man's message squares with truth, then it's truth and you compare it that way. In Paul's day, the New Testament was being lived. It was being written. So when a person spoke, they couldn't go to 1 Corinthians or Acts or Romans or 1 and 2 Timothy. They had to say, is there a sign accompanying that prophecy? So those sign gifts were given to validate the message and the messenger. And they were there to bridge that gap until the word could be written until we have God's closed revelation. Does that make sense? Those were the gifts that were given at that time. They were necessary. So Paul is writing to Corinth as they're using those gifts at that time during that transitional time in the early church. And here's what we're saying. Number two, Paul was saying this to them. Those sign gifts, specifically he's speaking of tongues and interpretation of tongues in these passages, were used, they were to be used in compliance with the biblical instructions. Those, those sign gifts were to be used in Paul's day in compliance with the biblical instructions. In other words, Paul said, there's a way for you to speak in tongues. There's a way for you to interpret. There's a way for you to prophesy. This is how you should do it in your churches. And Paul explains it in this passage as he walks them through, saying that that person is to speak one at a time and have an interpretation. And then another, no more than three in a, in a, in a worship setting. Or if a person has that, that gift of prophecy, a word from God, then it's supposed to be done where the prophets come, other prophets, and help discern is this from the lord it's to be done in an orderly way in compliance with the biblical instructions number three the gift of tongues and prophecy have a role in the church today the gifts of tongues and prophecies paul talks about in chapter 13 and 14 have a role in the church today now i said last week 
that not everybody agrees on this. I even said last week that my three scholars that I trust and I, I follow their work and their teaching and they're, they're the commentaries that I, that I use, the, the three of those guys didn't agree. So I'm just going to be one of the three. I'll be the fourth one who doesn't agree. There, there are some differences in here. This is my understanding of it. Are you all with me? Okay. I'm glad you're with me. Here's how I see those gifts operating in the church today. First of all, the gift of tongues. I believe the definition of the gift of tongues in the church today is it is the gift of languages for the purpose of evangelism. The gift of tongues is the gift of languages. We talked about that last week. Whenever it's mentioned, kinds of languages, referring to the kinds of human language, I believe it's for the the purpose of evangelism. Now, not everybody agrees with me. There are some people who say the gift of tongues have ceased. That's not to be operating in the church today. My understanding is, as you go through the book of Acts, when you see the use of the gift of tongues, it was for the purpose of evangelism. And I see that that is still the purpose of that gift today. When a person does not know the language that the sermon is being preached in, and God so desires in His sovereignty to give someone that that language so that person can understand it and it be interpreted, that's the purpose of the gift of tongues. I hear stories on the mission field today where God is going, is moving Folks, we think God's moving in some of our churches today. Overseas, it's incredible what God is doing. Where God is active. And the folks from Nicaragua can testify. Those of us who've been to Thailand can testify. God is working where God needs the message communicated. And there's no one there that speaks the language. And God is using that. So I believe it's for the purpose of evangelism. Very important. So that's my understanding of the gift of tongues in the church today. Number two, let's look at prophecy. Again, they don't all agree with me on this one either. Prophecy, I understand, as the gift of proclaiming the truth. The gift of proclaiming the truth as revealed in Scripture. Now, if you were a great theologian and a Greek scholar and a Hebrew scholar, you might be able to give me a good debate, and I would say, you know what, you got a point there. But here's my understanding of prophecy. That as a sign gift, that in those days when the Word was not written... God was giving new truth to people through prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Habakkuk. And ultimately, when Jesus stepped on the scene and John the Baptist, there was no written word, closed revelation. So God was giving new truth through the prophets. Once we had our New Testament, our canon of Scripture, our, 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 our closed word of God, there's no need for a new truth. So for me, my understanding, the gift of prophecy is like it was in the Old Testament in proclaiming. See, we talk about, are you going to teach about prophecy? We think about the end times in the future. The heart of the message of the prophet was repent and turn to God. I believe that's the, the operating gift today. So when we say the gift of prophecy in the church today, it's the gift of a prophet, of a proclaimer. A person who stands up and says, this is what God says. Look at his word. This is the truth. And they proclaim it with boldness. That's the gift of prophecy, proclamation. And the way I worded it there is significant. The gift of proclaiming the truth as revealed in Scripture. This is all the truth we need, folks. We don't need new truth. By the way, whenever you get new truth, it opens the door. Because a person says, well, God gave me a new word. That's great. That's exciting. And it might be accurate. Then another guy steps up and says, well, God gave me a word. I love what my pastor, Kelly's dad, said one time. He had a man come to him. I've shared this, so if you've heard it before, you get to hear it again, all right? Because I'm getting old and I forget who I told what when I told them. Ask the girls that have been staying at our house this weekend. 
Pastor, you already told that story. Okay. A man came to him and said, Pastor, God spoke to me and said, I'm supposed to preach for you today. And he said, her father, as wise as he is, he said, tell me when God told you that. He said, it was last night in my quiet time, about 11 o'clock. He said, well, God spoke to me this morning. And he reminded me that I'm still the pastor of this church and I'm going to preach. Now, there's, there's, there you go. See, when you have new truth, somebody can always one-up you with the new truth. Do you understand that? We have to be careful about that. So a prophet proclaims the truth and we check it out with the word of God. That's the key. That's so important with, with this gift in the church today. I believe, by the way, just a little aside here, a person with the gift of prophecy sees things as black and white. There's no gray area. And I get frustrated with a prophet and they get frustrated with me. Uh, but there, there's a place for both those gifts in the body. But a prophet is that way. They say, this is the way it is. They don't see any gray area. And then you have the people over here with the gift of mercy. And it's all gray. <laughs> Let's love them. Let's, there's no, so there, there's a place for everybody in the body. That is so important. Okay, truth number four. I wish this, this outline really flowed and had a good common theme, but I'm just trying to address the truths that Paul does. Why in the world does he pour that or dump this truth on us one more time? But he says it again. Women are to keep silent in the church. Here's my understanding of that application. By the way, you know that we don't, that we believe it's a cultural thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a lady standing up here talking. And we wouldn't have ladies talking back to me. I mean, you know, agreeing with me, right? Did I say that out loud? So you know, Paul had to tell them, ladies, cool it. That's what Paul had to say. Paul had to say, you are being argumentative, you're debating, you're overruling your husbands, you're overruling the authority in the church. It's chaos. Don't say anything. Now, have you ever done that with your kids? I have. Not so loud. And they just keep talking loud. A little bit softer. They just keep talking a little bit. And they just keep finally say, okay, not a word. They get it then. So I think that's what Paul was doing there. All right. Here's my understanding to apply this today. You need to understand this, ladies. Women have a role in the church today. Women have a God given role, a God ordained role in the church today. What would we do? Where would we be if we didn't have women in our churches today? Coastal oaks would be floundering. We would. We have godly women serving in roles of leadership in this church, doing ministry in the church, and I thank God for those ladies. Here is my understanding of the role of women in the church today. As it comes to that issue of women teaching and preaching in church, are you ready? Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 11. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. 
I believe that what Scripture is saying is it's okay for women to talk in church. It's okay for women to pray because Paul has already said that's okay. It's okay for women to have places of leadership. It's okay for women to teach. But it's not appropriate for a woman to teach and usurp the authority of the male leadership in the church. That's what I believe is the teaching of Scripture today. That it's okay, women, to be in leadership. It's okay, women, to teach. I'm, I'm even okay with women teaching men if the woman is submissive to her husband and submissive to the male authority in the church. I don't think that's the best scenario. I think, God, I think God's ideal is for men to teach. But in situations, it's okay. Women to teach women. But it's okay. I don't have a problem with that. As long as that woman is submissive to her husband and submissive to the authority in the church. There's ever a case when a woman teaching in this church becomes the person who says, I'm in charge and I'm not going to listen to that pastor's authority because I've got a better voice than he does. That's when you say, nip it. You, say, you might say like this, nip it in the bud, Andy, nip it in the bud. That's Barney Fife if you didn't get it, all right? There, there may come a time when we would have to say, you know what, I love you. And I do that. I tell people I love you, but. So if you ever hear that from me, hang on, all right? I love you, but just your attitude is showing an attitude of rebellion and an attitude of usurping the authority of the church. And we're just going to have to ask you not to do that anymore. That's kind of where Paul was with those ladies. Ladies, I thank God for you. I thank God for the ladies who serve on our ministry leadership team. I believe that this passage also prohibits a woman from preaching proclamation because that's just that place that I believe as you look at the, the bishop and the elder and the overseer that that's a role reserved for men. Not everybody agrees with me. That's okay. That's where we are in this church. God-given gifts and people that God mixes us together for His glory, for His good to edify the church. Now I want to close with what I believe will illustrate what Paul was dealing with in Corinth and how it ought to be, all right? So y'all just just stay with me here. I mean, don't come up here, but... I'm not taking Larry's place. You like that? See, I think that's what was going on at Corinth. It's dissonant, isn't it? It just doesn't make sense. And so it wasn't working. So they started playing louder. And it doesn't sound good. So then... That sounds better, doesn't it? That should be harmony. Now, that's what God desires in the church. That's when everybody says, look at me, I'm important. My note's better than anybody else's. It may not fit the chord, but I like my notes. And God says, maybe you need to quit sounding your notes so loud. And wait, because when Larry sits down here in a minute, he's going to use some stuff, and that note's going to fit in there just right. But wait till it's your turn, and wait till it's your time. See, that's what God desires, harmony with our giftedness. I said it before, everybody doesn't need to be like me. Everybody doesn't need to be like you. But everybody needs to understand you fit in the cord somewhere. By the way, Larry could do the whole thing, all five fingers on each hand, and really make it sound good. 
Can we just say, Lord, we may not understand it all, but we know that you've brought us here and we fit together. And as best we know how, for your glory, we're going to step up to the plate and say, Lord, here I am. I'm clean, I'm empty, I'm available for your glory. Use me. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, even the passages that are difficult, you put them there. And I, I give you thanks that you cause us to wrestle and struggle with applying the truth to our lives today. God, I thank you for the testimonies we've heard today already. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you've placed us here. To be a body that lives in harmony. Lord, that sounds so good. It may be today that you brought a person in this room. And they observe what goes on and they listen and they watch and they hear. And every time they're in this place, you are tugging at their heart. I pray that today would be the day that they would yield to you completely and totally, giving their life to Christ. Lord, I ask that you would have your will with us during this time of commitment. As you've spoken, may we respond in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In a moment, we're going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you have never opened your heart to Christ as personal Lord and Savior, the Bible is so clear. All have sinned. Sin has a penalty. Christ paid the penalty. Isn't that good? God says that Christ demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Well, if you'd like to receive him by faith, we'll introduce you to someone who can introduce you to the Savior. You've got another issue going on in your life. Maybe you brought it in today and you haven't listened to much of what's going on because God's dealing with you about that. You're free to come and kneel at this altar and just give it to God. We invite you to come right now as we stand to our feet. As the worship team sings, ask Him to open your heart and speak to you and through you. You come right now to you.